All right. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope it was a good time. Um, I'm glad to see you got here safely today. Uh, just a word from my parents. They always send their greetings. They're doing well. They're tra they traveled safely to their destination. And, and I don't know if you guys are watching. If you are, good morning. Um, but if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Philemon. Uh, the book of Philemon is not a book of the Bible I've read or studied a whole lot, so it was great to have an opportunity to study it today. It's in our New Testament. Philemon is between the books of Titus and Hebrews. My message this morning is entitled, Profitable Christianity. Profitable Christianity. Um, it's one thing to be saved. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. Um, but what are we going to do with that? And, and how is Jesus affecting our lives? And I think uh, the book of Philemon... Um, will give us some cool things that happen in those people's lives that maybe we can draw from today. So by way of outline, the, what we're going to move through today is we're going to look at a history, uh, talk about what was going on when this book was written, um, and some other facts about the story itself, and then we're going to look to spiritual application that we can make. What can we draw? What, what are the things that we can see from actual history that we can make spiritual parallels for? And then, of course, as we always want to do, how can we personalize it? How can we take that actual story that happened and the spiritual illustrations that we see, and how can we make them part of our lives? So uh, read the book of Philemon with me. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Athea and Acherpus, and fellow, our fellow soldiers, and to the church and thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself." If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again, we just want to ask you to bless your word as it goes forth today. Lord, give us new insights into who you are, into who we are. Lord, let this be a profitable time together, um, a time that you can just shape and mold us more into your image. Lord, we thank you for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We pray that he would be our guide and teacher today, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Philemon is written approximately 62 A.D. by Paul. Paul is the author, and it's likely during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. Uh, it ranks among the short books of the Bible. It's roughly the same size as Obadiah and Jude in the Old Testament. It's just one chapter. We read the whole thing this morning. And in the authorized King James Version, it contains 25 verses and only 430 words. Unlike some of the epistles that Paul wrote, um, verse 19 tells us Paul wrote the letter in his own hand. You know, sometimes, people ha sometimes Paul had help writing. He spoke, but somebody penned it for him. But in this particular book, um, Paul wrote it. And Paul's writing to Philemon. It's kind of a personal letter. Um, some folks say that there's not a ton of doctrine, per se, in, in this book of the Bible. Uh, it's more of a practical teaching book. But he wrote this letter to Philemon, and Philemon's a wealthy Christian who lived in Colossae. Um, and Paul had done evangelistic work, and Philemon apparently had accepted Jesus through part of Paul's ministry, and they had a relationship. And Philemon not only received Christ, but he was serving the Lord, because part of what we read talks about this church that he had in his house. So um, he, was, he was wealthy, and part of that is indicated by the fact that he had a house the size of uh, such that he could have people there and they could actually have church in his house. And Paul calls him a fellow laborer in verse 1. Now, now this is not a, a sermon about slavery, but slavery is part of this story. It existed at the time, just as it still exists in parts of our world today. And um, the true story of Philemon here and Onesimus, it takes place during the first century Rome. And what I want to do is contrast um, how Rome handled slavery versus what the Old Testament says about the realities of slavery, the fact that it existed. The Old Testament gives some guidance about how to be a, uh, be a master and how to treat slaves. And we can contrast um, what the Lord says to how to treat people and how Rome was treating its slaves. So in Rome, there were millions of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. Um, and a lot of the slaveholders had 10 or more slaves and a few of them owned hundreds of slaves. Now, these slaves in Rome, they were not of any particular race or nationality. You know, slavery is such a tough thing because there's a very myopic um, commentary on slavery. Uh, we think about it in terms of maybe Europe or America more modernly, where blacks were enslaved by whites. This was a different kind of slavery. Rome was conquering everybody from the east to the west, uh, they, they ruled the world at one time. And so their slaves were made up of their conquered, of all races, of all nationalities. If you were conquered by Rome, you became a slave. And Rome's government was uh, governing slavery. They were very severe. Uh, slaves were property. 
nothing more. They were there to be bought and sold. Their life was very difficult. They could be beaten for minor offenses. And if they ran away, oddly enough, um, they could be crucified for that offense. And, you know, when we think of crucifixion, we know that that was a Roman torture and form of punishment that was developed. Um, but um, we think of Jesus and his crucifixion on the cross. But, of course, a lot of people were crucified for various things. Uh, in contrast to Roman law, here's what the Old Testament says. Not promoting slavery, but if you're going to engage in having slaves, this is some guiding principles for it. They were to be treated like household members. Leviticus 25:53 tells us that. Slaves became partakers of the Abrahamic covenant, which is given to us and Abraham in Genesis 17:27. Slaves in the Old Testament were freed during the sabbatical year, so they would work for six years and they would be free on the seventh year. That's found in Exodus 21:2. If you harmed a slave, it resulted in their freedom. We find that in Exodus 21, verses 26 and 27. So it wasn't okay. It wasn't acceptable. It wasn't the norm and status quo to treat slaves harshly. In the Old Testament, it says you shouldn't do that. And if someone killed a slave, they were to be severely punished. Exodus 21, 20 tells us that. And then an escaped slave was to neither be hunted nor return to his master, which we find in Deuteronomy 23, 15, and 16. So uh, it was it was legal for um, Philemon to own a slave, okay, and he owned at least one because one of the folks in this account is Onesimus. So Onesimus is a slave that Philemon owned, and at some point Onesimus steals from Philemon, and then he runs away. So. Now Onesimus finds himself a runaway slave, and he's also now a thief, and he arrives in Rome, and he hears Paul share the gospel, and he gets saved. And upon him, upon Onesimus receiving Christ uh, and talking with Paul, uh, he decides that he wants to reconcile with Philemon. He is interested in reconciling and returning as his slave and making things right regarding the things that he stole from Philemon. Imagine that. Imagine the challenges of being a slave. Um, whether this was something that Onesimus agreed to originally or not, because you know some forms of slavery, like indentured servitude, that was a financial agreement between people that it was mutual. Uh, the person that was hiring or enslaving or indenturing that person, it was beneficial to them, but so it was for the person and their family that was working for them and being in, uh, indentured to them. I don't know the, wh what the agreement was with Onesimus and Philemon, but he obviously left for some reason he wasn't happy about. And now when Jesus comes into his life, he decides, I'm going to fulfill the obligation that I made. I'm not going to break that contract. I'm going to go back. And I also need to restore things that I stole from him. What a mindset. How interesting is that? So Paul's letter to Philemon is an attempt to facilitate this reconciliation. That is part of what we read. Uh, and it was important to contrast Roman and Old Testament law regarding slavery because Paul has experienced both. He's seen both. 
And Paul was trying to seek to bring the mercies from Old Testament slavery law into the Roman system. And if not into the Roman system, at least into this relationship and this dynamic between Philemon and Onesimus. You see, we can't always change the realities of what's going on in our world. We should always try to influence them. But when we can't change them, sometimes we're forced to accept them. And when we have to accept them, what the Lord promises is he will go through the circumstances of our life and our world with us, even if they can't be changed, and he can make a difference for us, even in the most difficult circumstances, even in the most cruel of circumstances, even when things like injustice exist. Now, we see Paul's teachings of trying to influence the master-slave relationship in Ephesians and Colossians. I'm going to read to you just Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, which says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatsoever good things that any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So these teachings from the Old Testament, uh, and even the things that Paul spoke about in, say, Ephesians, they weren't lost on Philemon when he received this letter from Paul. Philemon and Paul had a relationship. Philemon must have understood some of the Old Testament uh, law that, that was in writing at the time and then the things that Paul had verbally been speaking about. Because you know, remember, at this time in 62 AD, they don't have a complete Bible yet. They have parts of it. The Old Testament is written down, but the New Testament is being lived out right before their eyes. And some of it's going to be you know, written after the fact. Uh, and, and, of course, we're blessed to have God's entire word today. In the letter that Paul writes to Philemon, he shares the good news of Onesimus' salvation. And he asks Philemon to take Onesimus back as more than simply a servant, but as a brother in Christ. He, he calls him a brother beloved in the letter that he writes to Philemon. And so what you have is a complete change in a relationship between a master and a slave because now... They're both Christians, and this miraculous thing that God does when he makes somebody a Christian is we don't leave the person that we were, the history that we had, the experiences that we had. We don't become robots. We're still unique people, but our primary identity is found in Jesus Christ, and now that identity shapes everything about what we do moving forward, how we process the world around us, how we interact, the relationships that we have. And so God has this amazing way through Jesus Christ to even take master and slave, make them equals, and allow them to have a transformed relationship moving forward. And this, in a historical sense, in Scripture, is what Paul is trying to accomplish between Philemon and Onesimus. And Paul even goes this far. In the letter, he also tells Philemon that he, Paul, he's going to pay for Onesimus' debts. Whatever was stolen by Onesimus from Philemon, Paul says, charge that to my account. He's not going to pay for this. Maybe he couldn't afford it. 
That's probably what the case was. You know, Paul was ministering, but he was also making tents. He was providing an income for himself as well as serving the Lord. And Paul says, you charge that to my account. So that's the history of Philemon, our text for the morning. What kind of spiritual application can we make? What are the things spiritually we can draw from this literal account? Well, first, Philemon is a picture of God the Father. Philemon is a picture of God the Father. Not because God is a slave owner, uh, but because we are his property. How many times have you stopped and remembered that we belong to the Lord? Have you seen these shirts that say property of, and sometimes it has like a, a university on it or a sports team, property of, and you know, fill in the blank. People are happy to wear those kinds of t-shirts. You and I are property of God. Nobody else gets to make that claim, but he thought of us. He dreamt us up. He created everything we see around us, and he created us too. And so, you know, everything about the world system wants to say that, you know, we're independent. In fact, we are God. Um, but, but that's not true. We belong to the Lord, and whether we acknowledge that or not, we are the property of the Lord. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Yes, God gave us free will. We get to choose whether we accept to trust Christ as our Savior and live for him or not, but we're not the independent, self-sufficient, God-like beings that secular humanists want to convince us that we are. We're fragile, we're sinful, and we're in need of the care and protection mercy and salvation of Almighty God. The second thing we can draw is that, spiritually, is that Onesimus is a picture of us. Onesimus is a picture of us. We have run away from our good master and stolen from him. Um, that's a hard thing to hear. We see a picture of this also in Jonah. Remember what Jonah was asked to do? Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3, read this. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was called by God, and he not only ran the other way, but um, he also used the income that God had previously blessed him with to pay for his sin, to pay for his desire to run away from the calling of God in his life. Those funds that Jonah had should have been used for kin kingdom's work, not to escape it and rebel against it. He should have went physically and used all of his gifts and talents and abilities to share with Nineveh the message that God asked him to, but he should have also used his personal resources. You know, how much is enough for a minister, which we all are, to give to the Lord. It, nothing we can give can out give God. It's our time, talents, and abilities, and it's our finances as well. And so we see that in Jonah, but we also see that in Onesimus, that he ran away. You know, I, I don't believe that Onesimus became a slave by accident. I don't think anything accidental happens in anybody's lives. When we talk about luck and accidents, that takes God out of the equation. There's no equation that God has taken out of in our lives, whether it's something for good 
or for evil. The devil wants to destroy us with evil, but God wants to redeem it and turn it into something good in our lives. So God was involved in this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, and Onesimus ran away. Onesimus didn't change his status as a slave simply by running away from Philemon. He only compounded his troubles. Why? Because in addition to being a slave, he was now also considered a runaway and a thief. That's what he added to his status by trying to solve that situation on his own without God. Remember, he wasn't a Christian when he did that. And we don't change our status as slaves when we run from God after hearing his call of salvation on our lives. We don't change our status as runaway slaves and thieves by embracing philosophies that are anti-God and trying to argue our way out of our status. We don't change our status as runaway slaves and thieves by blaming our rejection of God on our difficulties, past, present, or future. You know, we already know that Onesimus received Christ. He had some challenges to doing that. He might have had some legitimate arguments for, oh, God doesn't care about me. God has forgotten about me. Oh, why did God do this to me or that to me? Why have I had to go through this? Maybe he felt those things and they're just not written about in the book of Philemon. But in the end, his response was, those barriers were torn down. God reached him in his pursuit despite all of those difficulties. And those things didn't stop Onesimus. How does it feel to you when I say that, like Onesimus, that you and I are runaway slaves? How does that feel? That's not really a message that feels great in my skin. Um, that's not a message that the world is really interested in talking about. And unfortunately, sometimes the church isn't really interested in talking about this kind of concept as well. But God wants us to agree with him that this is the true nature of ourselves before we're saved, okay? And then the Lord adopts us. He saves us. He, he renews us. And yet we're still battling with this flesh until we get to heaven, until we die, or until Jesus comes back in the clouds and raptures us out and we're with him. We're still going to face the struggles between the new man, the spiritual man, the spiritual-led being, and our fleshly selves that tempt us and want us to do wrong. God tells us the true nature of ourselves in the Old Testament. In Psalm 53, 3, it says, Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our, our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. God confronts us with the true status of ourselves in the New Testament. In Romans 3.12, it says, They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yikes. So much for our self-help, you know, rah-rah uh, cheerleading session this morning. Now, there's a comma in here because there's more to come. There's a little bit more positive stuff to come here. But it's good to look back. It's good to look back at who we were before we met Christ. Like Onesimus did, I'm sure, in his relationship with Philemon before he met Jesus. And it's good to understand that there are things we're still capable of if we let our flesh rule us. 
Why? Because it magnifies what Christ did in our lives. It makes us grateful. We take our eyes off of our current problems, we look at what Christ saved us from, and we say, glory to God. We say, hallelujah, what a great God. He's the only answer to this kind of problem that all of humanity faces. Jesus Christ is the only answer to this kind of transformative life. The only, the only opportunity we have to please God and live in a different way is by giving ourselves over to our master and letting him rule our lives. So it's good to be reminded of our status before we met Jesus and even after we've met Christ, although we're forgiven and we're new beings, we need to be reminded of the struggles that this flesh still puts us through. So we've looked at the history of Philemon, what was going on when the book was written, what the storyline is. We've looked at some spiritual pictures and things we can draw from what was written there. So let's, let's make some personal... Nope, let's not make some personal application yet. Sorry, I skipped over a couple really important things, like the third uh, spiritual application we can make is that Paul's a picture of Jesus. So we've got Philemon is a picture of God the Father. We are a picture of Onesimus as runaway slaves. And Paul is a picture of Jesus. In Philemon verses 18 and 19, Paul tells Philemon to put Onesimus's debt on his account. Whatever Onesimus owes you, Philemon, I will pay it. This is a principle in Scripture called imputation. And in imputation, it goes a couple ways. Imputation is defined as to lay the responsibility of blame for something often falsely or unjustly, or to credit or ascribe something to a person or a cause. So alone in our sin, the only way we could pay for the debt that we had was to spend an eternity in hell. But on the cross of Calvary... Jesus took our sin from us, that, and what he did was he imputed it onto himself. So Paul says, Philemon, I'm going to pay Onesimus' debt. And what Jesus Christ said to God the Father is, I'm going to pay for Chris's debt. I'm going to pay for, and you put your name in there. What Jesus did at the cross of Calvary was he allowed all of our sin to be imputed on him, to be put onto his ledger, to be made him, we've, he made himself accountable for something he never did. So he imputed, took on our sin onto his, his body and to his soul, and he paid for it with his blood. And when he paid the debt, and because he's the only one that's righteous, he said, I'm going to impute my righteousness onto you, Onesimus, onto you, Chris, onto you, put your name in the blank, so that when God looked at Jesus, he saw sin, and when he looked at you and I, he saw Jesus' righteousness. And so Paul acted like Jesus by taking Onesimus' debt, just as Jesus took our debt. I don't know if you've ever had financial struggles. Have you ever been in a place where you owed a bill that you couldn't pay? I kind of think back to college. For myself. But you know, there are people, we're, we're an affluent area, we're an affluent county. Maybe this is not a struggle that you can relate to. There are people that can't pay their debts. And I'm not saying why. Maybe they weren't wise and they overspent. It's not the point. There's people that creditors are hounding them right now today. They're getting phone calls, they're getting letters, they're getting threats. 
You're going to leave the place where you live. We're going to come get your vehicle. That can't feel very good. And Jesus comes in when we're getting those threatening phone calls because there's a debt that we simply cannot pay. And Jesus said, I'm paying it all. I've taken your whole debt upon myself. I died to pay your debt. What did it cost me? My shed blood at Calvary. My innocent life. I gave it up. And so Paul is a picture of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now let's move on to personal application. I tried to jump ahead before, but I caught myself. So we've talked about the history of this passage and making some spiritual uh, application. How can we personalize that, that book of Philemon? Well, the first question I have for you is, are you still a runaway slave, spiritually speaking? Or do you know for sure that you are a beloved brother of Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus? You know, we always want to share the gospel here in case there's somebody in the meeting house or somebody online that has not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior yet. Or maybe years from now, somebody's going to watch this recording and it's going to be out there in cyberspace, as Rhonda put it today, um, and they're going to come across the gospel. Without Jesus Christ, we are hopeless and helpless, and our status is simply a runaway slave. And so, is that still your status today? Onesimus had a lot of challenges, as I said before. He had injustice in his life. He first used his circumstances as an excuse to run and to steal. But then he heard the gospel, and all of his excuses went away. I hear a lot of um, reasonable arguments being made about things that may or may not be unjust, or um, about the lack of peace, about people and the problems that they have. But that's not going to solve things for an individual. What's going to solve things for the individual is the transforming experience of Jesus. And so Onesimus not only accepted Jesus as his Savior, but he was willing to go back into his previous life circumstance as a slave. You know, sometimes our life circumstance is not going to change. We might like it to. It might be the right thing if it had changed or should it change in the future. But sometimes you're just left to live through that experience. What are you going to do with that? You're just going to be frustrated and get angry and bitter? This is along the lines of how God helps a Christian suffer for a purpose. And suffer not in a vacuum or with only questions, but with answers. And with grace and with mercy and with purpose. You know, we we can struggle with a purpose to prove the greatness of God and to be a testimony to others that suffering is not in vain. If Jesus suffered, we shouldn't think that we're, that we're not going to suffer at all. Jesus was the difference maker for Onesimus. He did not require his circumstances to change in order to be saved. He determined to identify with what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, which read, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, 
for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So how about me and you? Is Jesus the difference maker and savior or is some other cheap substitute? You know, anything outside of Jesus is just a cheap substitute. It might be shiny. It might be trending. It might be, uh, you know, on social media. It might even be on sale. You can get it on clearance now because Christmas is over. Right, all those cool gifts we offer one another, now you can get it for like half price. Uh, but they're just cheap substitutes compared to Jesus. Are you waiting on something outside of yourself to change before you accept Jesus as your Savior? Or are you willing to change yourself now and accept Jesus to be the one who makes all the difference for you? My second question is, will you and I choose to get involved and invest in others for Jesus' sake? Like I said earlier, it's one thing to get saved, receive this beautiful free gift of salvation, but what are we going to do with it? After we become Christians, what are we going to do with it? Paul learns of this difficult situation between Philemon and Onesimus, and Onesimus running away and stealing from him. You know, Paul is Philemon's friend. Paul gets involved instead of wanting to steer clear, even though it could be complicated. Paul puts the first thing first. He deals with Onesimus on the issue, not of his slavery or thievery, but that he was a lost sinner headed for hell. How many times have you and I avoided getting involved in a circumstance because, oh, that's too personal, or that's going to be too complicated, or I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or I don't want to risk this relationship? You get that, right? Philemon and Paul were fellow laborers. They were friends. And he had something difficult in this letter that he was writing. He was taking a risk because this could have gone bad. He could have lost a fellow laborer. He could have offended Philemon. This could have been handled in a way that was right from Paul's perspective. But Philemon could have rejected it. He could have gotten angry. He could have gotten offended. But Paul, knowing that that was a risk, that didn't stop him. He deals with Onesimus first. He boldly and lovingly shares the gospel with him, and Onesimus responds. And as wonderful as that was, it wasn't enough for Paul. Paul then seeks to make things right between Philemon and Onesimus. He puts in time, maybe his reputation, maybe he put that on the line. He obviously put his finances on the line because he said, I'll pay Onesimus' debt. And he did all that to achieve reconciliation between these two men. He leverages the New Testament, excuse me, the new relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, acknowledging that it used to be one of master to servant, but now it is one of brother to brother. John 15, verses 15 through 17 say, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have, chosen, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And this passage speaks to a profitable Christianity, getting to the title of a message, the message today. It's, it's not simply about being a Christian, but it's what do we do with this gift of Christianity, of this, you know, which means Christ follower, this relationship we have with God, uh, acknowledging that he's our one and only true master, but he's a good master, 
and he doesn't call us servant anymore, he calls us friend, what do we do with that? Are we happy to come to church on a Sunday? I don't see that about the people of Amwell. I see a people in action, and that's encouraging to me. I see a people that are in active service for the Lord. And we can do more. And we should push ourselves to do more. This is another example of Paul being used by Christ to serve and minister to others. And we have proof that Onesimus remained faithful, a faithful servant of Christ in Paul's later epistle that he wrote to the Colossians where he tells us in Colossians 4, 1 through 9, and this is just about it. We're wrapping up here. Colossians 4, 1 through 9 says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done. And so Colossians is written historically after Philemon. And what we have is an account after this letter we read in Philemon is that Onesimus continued in his faith. And he did more than just become a new babe in Christ. He became this faithful and beloved brother who was serving. Philemon demonstrates a willingness to forgive and reconcile. It's not enough to simply receive Christ. Profitable Christianity requires that we get involved in service, humility, and sacrifice after salvation. Not to get saved or stay saved, but because we are saved. And we see this lived out by multiple characters in the epistle of Philemon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a chance to read this book of Philemon together, to get to know this true story a little bit better, to look at the characters here in one particular lens. And Father, we pray today that we would appreciate the fact that you, our master, you bought back us runaway slaves who had committed sin, were your enemies, and you say that you loved us first. You came from heaven to earth to pursue us. You lived a perfect, sinless life and fulfilled the law. And then you were falsely accused and let human beings crucify you so that you could shed your blood and give the earth a once and, once and for all forgiveness, sacrifice of our sin. And your shed blood, Father, is still available to anybody who would receive it today, anybody who would believe that your shed blood can not just save us, but transform our lives into a life of service and true meaning, Lord, that you can give us purpose, a purpose that's beyond ourselves, but a purpose that's for you. And so make us profitable in your sight, for your glory, for your honor, for your kingdom work, Lord. We pray that you do all those things for us today in Jesus' name. Amen.